Hello, everybody, and welcome to Year End in Review 2022 of Queers Do Cinema. Um, welcome, everybody. My name is Jeffrey Winter. I am co-executive director of the Film Collaborative in Los Angeles. Uh, we're talking a lot about weather because it's 65 degrees here, but everybody else in the, around the country is freezing. So, <laughs> Kathleen, you look really cold over there. Uh, well, my mother's furnace is kaput. <laughs> oh no! And it's wet. How cold is it? It's um. What did you say in in Fahrenheit? It's minus five degrees. Celsius, but twenty three degrees. Yeah, Fahrenheit. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in in uh, BC, British Columbia. Wow. Well, how? Um, why don't you give me an idea of your jet? Well, first introduce yourself again for the people who's new and your general impressions of the year in queer cinema. Okay. Am I first? Yeah, you're first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My name is Kathleen Mullen. Um, she, her, I'm the festival director of the Seattle queer film festival. And uh, well, I think, um, you know, it was interesting. I think it was a really good year for a lot of independent, um, queer cinema uh, there was a lot um, that was put out there we had like huge amounts of submissions um, from films all over the world um, I would say mainstream films um, there were a lot of mainstream films um, that came out like uh, Bros and Tar and and my policeman um, that, you know, had queer subject matter. Um, but in terms of like, I saw a lot in terms of indie, indie type, in, indie type queer work. Um, uh, the inspection came out as well, um, obviously released um, by A24, I believe that's right. Um, and yeah, no, there were, I felt like it was a pretty good year. Um, it wasn't a great year for lesbian films. Um, that was really, uh, well, definitely internationally there were more lesbian films but not in in the U.S. Um, there were a lot of really great queer films coming out of Canada um, such as Before I Changed My Mind by Trevor Anderson, Rosie um, by Gail Maurice um, that hasn't actually hit the, the U.S. circuit yet, Golden Delicious, Jason Carmen. so there were a lot of like really great indie Canadian uh, features happening um, you know, and films like, you know, Framing Agnes did super well, um, which I'm sure some of my colleagues will talk about as well. Um, and there seemed to be quite a lot of, of TV shows, um, but not, I mean, I feel like there's always could be more. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, he hits on some of the hot topics. We need to talk about why so few lesbian features. That was distressing. I also have a lot of Canadian film on my slate lately. I'm like, what's happening up there? And yeah, let's get to Framing Agnes later. So from another chilly frozen north, two people joining us from Boston, which sounds scary to me in LA. Um, James Ano from Wicked Queer and General Film History Madness. James, how was your year in terms of your perspective on queer cinema? Your dating life um, is different, but let's talk about <laughs> <Chris> <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, just to build on what Kathleen said, I feel like, you know, we saw a lot of really solid indie films. I think that in terms of quality, um, you know, there used to be a fairly clear demarcation between um, sort of clunky, chunky um, indie films that, that were, weren't quite up to the quality, but had great storytelling. 
And I see like there were quite a few films this year. And again, not to, to jump on Kathleen's bandwagon too, but you know, Canada also like one of the films I, I thought was one of the best of the year was Wildhood. Um, Kathleen, do you remember the director's name? Um, um, Breton um, Hannum. Um, um, uh, Breton Hannum. Uh, Breton Hannum. Yeah. Um, I think it was one of my favorite films this year. And then there was a couple, there was a, a, one other one I loved. And we'll come, we can come back to this, was like a really weird French um, science fiction film. I don't know if anybody else saw. Um, trying to think of the name called After Blue. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought the stuff, the stuff that was, was hitting the festival circuit was really adventurous, um, really well-made. And, and stories, you know, we think we've seen everything from a perspective of, you know, 20 years of programming queer film. Um, but to see something, you know, stories that you haven't been shown before was kind of, you know, it's always the pleasure of doing this on a year to year basis. Awesome. Yeah, I think the general consensus, we'll let Sam go in a second, is that like my my predictions of the death of queer cinema at the beginning of this year were grossly uh, a little a little premature. huh? So <laughs> always where to places to go. But. Sam, what was your take on the year and who are you? James didn't tell us who he was, but we'll assume people have listened before. <laughs> I think you gave me a brief intro, so I'm good. Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Sam Berliner. I use he and they pronouns. Um, I was the festival director for Translations, the Seattle Transgender Film Festival for seven years. Um, and now I currently live in Boston where it is cold. Um, my general takeaway for the year is kind of twofold. One is I was really, really happy to see films made by trans people um, do so well. I think that's something that is always something that I'm aware of is who are the directors and are they, um, do they have the experiences of the the subject matter that they're talking about. And when it aligns, especially when it's trans people, I get very excited. Um, so that's one thing, and we can talk about specific titles in a bit. Uh, the other thing is maybe it's just because it's year three of COVID, 2020, 2021, 2022. Yeah, year three of COVID. Um, I watched a lot of television this year and I was super pleased that I kept seeing queer stuff in a lot of different places, um, even when I wasn't particularly looking for it. Um, so that's another thing that I thought was big about this year. Yes, TV, it's almost like they're, you don't even try to sell a TV show anymore unless it's queer because there's definitely an audience that's demanding it. So I wanna talk a lot about TV, but um, I think the place where we have to start is there certainly was an increase in large theatricals this year. Um, we saw films like Bros and Spoiler Alert and The Inspection and Tar. And yeah, Inspection, you're right, Kathleen, 824, 144 theaters. Um, I'm not sure we could say any of those were breakout films. You know, I don't think we had a Call me, you know, uh, call me by your name, or Brokeback Mountain, or any of those this year. But we certainly had the uh, an increase in the number of them and the effort at going after it. Anything uh, you want to say about the large theatricals, or you think we've covered that? You know, Bros was a significant disappointment. A year-end thoughts on Bros. <laughs> James, you want to? Oh, yeah. 
I just wanted to say too. I, I, oh god, what was I seeing? Uh, I, anyway, I was in the theater when previews for uh, Spoiler Alert came on, um, and I found it kind of remarkable because you know, <laughs> being this old um, and having been in a theater situation where previews of gay films will come up in a very straight situation, and you hear stickers, you hear people like making snide remarks, you hear sort of all this sort of homophobia kind of emerges in in like a, a theater background, and there was none of that. I was really kind of surprised. That people were just like, oh, da, 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 you know, oh, it's it's what's his face from you know that TV show. Like it just it was so. I mean, it seems weird to say that it was normal. <laughs> it was like a normal situation, which I, you know, because you sort of sit there kind of cringing and you're like, all right, here it comes, it's going to happen, and then it doesn't, and then the next preview comes on, and it was just such, it was so strange to me, <laughs> um, and yet sort of a relief. I was like, well, you know, we heard a point where like you know people like yeah, it's Jim Parsons. Yeah, he's gay and he's playing a gay character. And like, it was just so kind of like, even it was really, really weird to me. <laughs> I agree entirely. I saw it in Northern Michigan before I, I saw that trailer in Northern Michigan, right before Black Panther. So it was coming on Marvel movie, you know, blockbuster, blah, blah, blah. And then spoiler alert came on in the middle of that. And I was like, this feels ridiculous ridiculous and i was i absolutely was expecting the audience to cringe but i didn't hear anything so that was that was great um i think i was more impressed with how i do want to say that there was a you know a major tent pole from each of the streamers anything's possible which was opening night which is billy porter's debut feature um a trans feature out uh, that was opening night of outfest uh fire island of course from hulu they them i thought all of those were very solid did anybody uh see any of those i can talk about them for a great length um they them the scary one they them was a satire on a conversion therapy camp they them was exactly the one that was essentially this this generation's but i'm a cheerleader um uh -huh set in a horror scenario i mean one of the things that i thought was amazing was that there was an actual real actual emergence of queer cinema queer horror this year totally we had, we had sandman interview with the vampire followed all all of ryan murphy's um tv shows which are really taking queer horror to a place I never even imagined. And uh, James, do you want to talk anything about horror? You... I remind you that in our one of our very first episodes when I was putting queer horror on my syllabus, you said, take that off. That's a dumb idea. I can't <laughs> believe you're doing that topic. <laughs> wow. um, and all my students love, like I had so many papers about queer mm -hmm. horror. I like everybody... All of like my students just loved that genre. Like they, I mean, it's just a horror. I feel like it's a, a horror generation. Like people are just so yeah. deeply into it. It's it's so ingrained, and and there is an expectation to have queerness. Like I mean, I, there's just like, well, why isn't there? You know, I think at least for my students' generation is like, well, yeah, queer horror there should be, and there should be more. <laughs> we had a whole focus on it okay, at this festival. This we had a whole focus on on it on the festival this year. A queer horror like spotlight. Um, 
you know, we played the Jessica cabin as our, you know, um, and, you know, we played Swallowed and like several other ones. And then, you know, people love it. People and, the, and you know, our younger programmers were like bringing it forward. And like queer horror is like a whole thing right now. I mean, it's exciting because, of course, horror has always been uh, queerness has always been central in the American horror genre from a psycho dress to kill any of those. But it's always been from a tremendously regressive point of view, the queer equaling evil, queer being part of what is horrible in the culture. Uh, I think, yeah, with the exception maybe of um, James Whale's early um, universal horrors which always just sort of had a sympathy you know in frankenstein bride of frankenstein the invisible man um i think as because he as a gay man i'm sure he was not about to sort of i mean who knows i mean we can't know what james well was thinking when he's making these films he was very adamant about there being no gay subtext but i think we sort of know if you're a queer artist and you're making work at some point <laughs> there, there's a queer feeling to it there's a queerness to it and i think that's why we sort of gravitate to horror early on Absolutely. And then I think finally, after the years of trying to turn that regressive tide into a progressive look at queerness in horror, this was that year that it finally happened. Um, let's go to the troubling thing. Um, and then we can get to some positive things. So why do we still think lesbian cinema is struggling so intensely? Who wants to take the first shot at that? Kathleen, you want to go take a try at it? I mean, to be honest, I think it's funding because you see in, in the international market, like we had quite a, you know, there's it, it quite a few films that were lesbian or um, lesbian and non-binary and non-binary films um, uh, from, you know, from different countries in Europe. And, and I, and, and, you know, I just feel that there's more funding, right? And so I think that is part of the problem. I mean, there were a couple of, there were three lesbian films from Canada. Funding, right? You can live forever, you know, um, uh, Rosie and another one, you know, like, I mean, well, Rosie's not lesbian, but like, anyway, but by a queer woman director. So anyway, so um uh, Gail Maurice, um, Indigenous filmmaker. Um, anyway, so but for but there's just more funding, and and in the U.S. you don't see that same funding, right? Like whatever happened to the premiered film, the Tignataro film, um, and Stephanie Lynn film, Am I Okay? Right, that came out of Sundance. Like it didn't get released, right? And it's a, it seems to be an endless vicious cycle where we're in for many years now, which is, you know, anyone's going to argue, well, then the audience has to appear and the audience doesn't appear. Maybe the audience has less money. I mean, this is a complicated question, but certainly one we haven't gotten out of yet. Yeah. And I think why you see more lesbian content in, like you see more lesbian content in TV, right? Because people are streaming it, right? So they're they're not necessarily going out, but they're watching it from their home. So that's why you see, I, I would see, I would say more queer women, lesbian characters in, in TV. So I definitely, um, I definitely want to talk about TV. For me, that's where it was happening. Um, I think we have hit the time where, not so much in 
I'm 55. We're all older than 40 here, right? Sam's still the baby, but I don't actually know how old you are. <laughs> uh, you're just before 40. Um, so I don't think it's tremendously changed in our generations, but if you look, it's changing, but if you look at youth TV, the mix is so potent. And I'm just going to go with the obvious like euphoria or gossip girl, but even much more abroad, they, they haven't, it's not that they don't think homophobia exists. They all acknowledge homophobia, but as just sort of part of the social fabric that exists and queer people are everywhere. And it is a marketing hook. Most of these films do better because they are shipping a queer couple. Um, so, you know, the international phenomenon of the year for very young people was Heartstopper. Um, and Heartstopper has made those two into stars. Um, and then my passionate is for Elite. Has anybody else? I have a feeling you have, guys haven't seen it. For Elite out of Spain. This is a, it's essentially a telenovela for teenagers, although they're on, they're on season seven now. Um, high camp out of Madrid, queer sex everywhere, and just uproariously campy and incredibly popular. Um, and, you know, that, that to me is the great hope of what we see right now is coming out of queer TV. So I strongly suggest that people get on their streaming and watch those shows. But the big film for me, the big, uh, my favorite of the year, um, I'm gonna go out there and say was Interview with the Vampire from AMC. Um, I've been a fan of the book since the eighties. Uh, there of course was a movie in the nineties and now the new series. And the thing is, what's unbelievably interesting is to watch three generations of the same story treat queerness completely differently. So in the original books, the queerness is, is mostly subtextual. We certainly know that they are lovers, but they are, res they are reluctant lovers. They don't talk about being lovers. Um, they're sort of stuck together companions, but the sex, the sex is clearly there. And it's driven strongly off the homoerotic sexual impulse, even if it's somewhat subtextual. Then you come to Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in the 90s, and they were openly homophobic, at least from Tom Cruise, openly in the press saying, we will play this, but there will be no gayness in this. And so they are positioned as simply companions locked in the, you know, in the horrors of eternal vampire life but even though they you know people looking at it now think there is a lot of subtext to it but it was aggressively fought by the actors by the studio and in the current interview with the vampire not only are they a gay couple the, it is full of queer theory they are constantly spouting queer theory throughout it they are there's lots of sex scenes. They call themselves a married couple. Queerness, the fact that they are a gay couple is the center of the story. And the fact that we get to see over the course of the last, it's fucking 40 years already, <laughs> is that 
we have entered into a completely new understanding of stories and a, a like academically addressing them through a theory conversation in a completely horror context. I mean, they are murdering people, slaughtering, slaughtering people, slaughtering each other. It ends in a Romeo and Juliet death. <laughs> um, is something I never thought I would saw, see and is phenomenal. Um, so that was that. that's my highlight of the year. I do want to go to just the point of what did you love this year? That's what I think people really want to know, what they should be watching. So, uh, Sam, why don't you start there? What did you love? What was a breakaway for you? Uh in movies or TV or both? Both. Queer cinema across genres. What did you love? Um, what I really, really loved this year was what we've talked about a lot already, which is called Framing Agnes. Um, that If you want to hear more about that, check out our documentary episode. We talk about it a lot. Um, but the short version is it completely subverts the entire genre of documentary and you learn about trans history. And it's brilliant um i also really wanted to shout out give a shout out to the movie when men were men um it's this uh narrative feature by two trans non-binary um writers directors actors um and i just i'm such a a, a fan of this movie and i just want to keep cheerleading it because i want people to see it What's it about? Um, it's about um, these two young people, and one of them moves into town and um, is perceived to be, well, do you want me to give it a, mm, how do I describe it without giving it away? Okay. Someone comes in, a young kid comes in, starting over, edit, sorry, I am, I'm still getting over COVID. All right. Uh, there's a person in high school who at home is referred to as she, her pronouns, but out in the world goes by he, him pronouns. And, um, then a new neighbor moves to town and they develop a friendship and the new neighbor is a gay boy and it's awesome. And I'm not going to say more than that because I don't want to give anything away, but like, it's really nicely made and I'm so proud of these two people. They're like really awesome people. They're Aiden and Izzy, those are their names. And I got to meet them at Frameline and they're just like so awesome and made their first feature and I just want people to see it. Is it available anywhere yet? What's the status on the release? Do you know? If I you're... would love to know the status. I do not know it. Um, it did premiere at Frameline, though. At least I think so. Oh, gosh. Maybe you have to edit that, too. <laughs> I will I will find out where it yeah. is available, and we'll link to it later. Okay. Um, I want to jump off to something, because Sam, and it's also set in Ireland, and we played it at Seattle Queer Film Festival. And yes. yeah, it's just a lovely, like, indie feature. I concur with Sam. Yeah. What else did you love this year or want to talk about that you think was break was a, a breakthrough this year? Um, well, the other thing I was just going to say is about some TV stuff that I saw, and I didn't see a lot of things that were referenced earlier in the conversation because I don't watch scary. 
<laughs> so just take all those off my plate. Um, but what I did really enjoy this year um, was the new queerest folk. I thought that that was pushing a lot of boundaries and I just looked up online and it sounds like they did not get a second season and that is very sad. But I still think it's worth watching the first season. Um, and I also really liked A League of Their Own. I mean, I also loved A League of Their Own from the 90s. Like I've seen it a zillion times. Um, and getting to see it reimagined in this way was really exciting. Um, and then it's controversial to say that I like RuPaul's Drag Race, but I like RuPaul's Drag Race sometimes, <laughs> specifically when Jinx Monsoon is on the show. And I'm not going to say who won, but I am going to say you should watch the All-Stars version of RuPaul's Drag Race, the Queen of Queens. That's all I'm saying about that. And then the last thing I was going to say is um, that my boyfriend is obsessed with Ryan Murphy. And I was like, I will watch Ryan Murphy things if they're not scary. And so we watched the Andy Warhol Diaries. We watched Hollywood. Um, and I recognize that Hollywood is from a couple of years ago. And then we watched the documentary about Hollywood. Like, there's some really good stuff um out there right now stunning amount of good stuff i mean a a year where andy warhol's diaries doesn't even come up is shocking that means there's a lot to talk about yeah um the last thing i was gonna say maybe you'll have to completely edit out because i really like the white lotus but they make gay people look bad I'm going to do my pet peeve rant on White Lotus at the oh, end. Oh, are you? Oh, good. You can bring it up. No spoilers. Okay. No spoilers. Well, a little bit of spoilers. Um, so. <laughs> I'm still getting through it. James, come on. What was your breakaways for the year? Um, I mean, not to go back to, uh, but to go back to Wildhood, I think it was one of, probably one of the most refreshing um, films um, of the year I think that you know to see a First Nations queer uh, teen drama um, was just really really amazing and it's a story you know we haven't seen before um, <clears throat> great acting I think overall it's just a really really lovely film that I think more people need to see I think it was just really really wonderful the other one I like which is completely opposite is a film called After Blue um, by Bertrand Mandico it's a French film. It's completely weird science fiction about <clears throat> two women, although even sort of even indeterminate because it's sort of this alien science fiction kind of film that makes absolutely zero sense. It's a road movie on a weird planet <laughs> involving all women. Um, it's just, and it's like the production value. It's like the craziest like fever dream. I think it's, it's I, to see it on the big screen was really beautiful. It's just like one of these crazy out of the, like, uh, like I, the only thing I think of it reminded me of like Liquid Sky or some like weird late seventies, early eighties kind of because it's all that sort of pop of color. It, it's just a really has anyone else seen this film? Kathleen, did you guys show? No, we didn't. It wasn't available, and I couldn't. Yeah, no, we didn't show it yet. But maybe ah. next year. Yeah, but that's my that's my recommendation. It was just one of those like this is a fucked up movie. I don't know what's going on, but I need to see where it goes. Like I just Do you know if I was all in. Can... Do you know if people could see Wildhood or After Blue yet? <clears throat> I'm not sure if either are shaming. Well, if we go on, I'll, I'll look up while we go on to, if Kathleen wants to jump in, I'll, I'll do my Googles. Yeah, and we can always link to them. 
Um, and Kathleen, what were some of the breakaways for you? Yeah, so I agree. A League of Their Own was definitely like, it was amazing. And uh, and so like, that was very exciting. Um, I also felt like there were a lot of um, documentaries that were really incredible this year. Um, uh, like Nellie and Nadine, um, which mm. I thought was remarkable. Uh, uh, Loving Highsmith, you know, a lot around history and, or, you know, and about uh, um, uh, like queer women's lives. Um, so I thought those were really, really strong. Um, the, yeah, so I felt like, I know we already talked about documentaries, but like, honestly, like the documentaries I saw were were very good this year. Uh, there was also High School, of course, the Amazon freebie um, series about Tegan and Sarah. Um, so that came out as well this year. Um, a really great um, small indie film, another film from Canada called Aaron's Guide to Kissing Girls. Um, that that came out that that was at our festival. So I just yeah, like there was and may and of course maybe someday um people really enjoyed it at our festival. So there's a lot um that that came out that are both indie and sort of more mainstream um that you know that I hope that people will get to see. James, you wanted to get update us on uh, release information for After Blue <clears throat> and Wildhood? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wildhood is available on Hulu and After Blue, aka Dirty Paradise. So it might come up as either title. Um, is uh, rentable on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's wild because the takeaway is that there was a lot mm -hmm. <laughs> this year. I don't remember it ever being like this. Um, so. I guess my take, my question on that is what this, you know, it's one thing to do a year end review, but when we're talking about queer cinema and we're talking about a, a, an art form that has been troubled throughout the ages, um, are we at the end of history? Have we arrived? I think what meaning, what are we wanting more of? Um, I think that when I come to it, I am content with the quantity. I think what we are looking at right now is how do we, and I don't have an answer of how this happens, but how do we move into the place where people aren't asking the question, name some good gay movies. They simply what we are looking at for is filmmakers who can bring queer content into quality cinema. I certainly think that there were examples this year. I don't think anybody questions whether like Euphoria is good TV. Euphoria is excellently made. I think there are a lot of solid things, but I don't think we've entered into the mainstream of quality cinema yet. And I think that would be my hope for 2023 is that we start to make we start to move towards moving away of this question was what is a good queer film into you know it's not just about quantity it's about quality that would be my hope for 2023 who else has a hope for 2023 james you got one? Oh, i you're gone so, mute. Sorry, i'm like mid cough uh, we can edit that out um 
ah, I, you know, I, it's, it's something I don't believe <laughs> I thought about, but um, I mean, I think to, to build on what you said, I think that um, I don't think we're going to see Hollywood probably invest more in queer film after what just sort of taken place. Um, I think maybe, um, I think Tar was an interesting case because it was so expensive and such a sort of prestige art house film um, that ultimately didn't do very well financially. So you're like, are people, are they people going to continue to make, to make these films? And you sort of, we obviously like, to your point, Jeffrey, too, we hope they do. Um, but at a certain point, we know the industry is all about money. And um, if the revenue is not there, they're going to switch to, you know, something else. And so we kind of hope that the, this process continues and, and gets broader. But um, my concern is that it, if, if, you know, the, if people are counting dollars, then they might not want to like invest in queer film again. I mean, that's my concern. I guess that's not a hope. That's the opposite of it. Yeah. I, Cause I think right now they're investing in a sort of more platform war phenomenon where they're just trying to make sure that they have like enough content to bring in the eyeballs, but I don't know that they're investing, um, that they're seeing return on the dollar for the individual queer titles. And there is one sort of, one that alarms me uh, that Disney shot at a queer inclusive animated film, Stra uh, Strange World, the big release that did so badly. <laughs> and you are already seeing people jump on the idea that there was a queer central character, queer youth character, and that that may be why they didn't um, market the film this seems like a totally invented piece of piece of propaganda right-wing propaganda but the fact that you could get a disney movie with a queer central character not doing well alarms me i don't think it's i think it's a red herring i don't think it's actually real but it i i could see this being used against <laughs> um that's not right, i think and i think disney had the other case too where they were um they refused to edit um, was it the Beauty and the, the later Beauty and the Beast or whatever? There was this scene, uh, the two men, the, the implied the gay men in the background. There was um, several countries wanted that scene cut out in order. And I think Disney refused. And then just the films just weren't released in those countries. So, I mean, that's interesting. But I mean, they have a new CEO, so we'll see what happens next. But, you know, it's, it's sort of interesting that the sort of two steps forward, couple steps back, a <laughs> couple steps to the side. Like, yeah, no well, one really sort of knows. That true of eternals as well it had a central gay character they couldn't edit out so it didn't release in may in major territories i don't even know if they're going to be in eternals too all right so i guess my hope would be these things flip around because i just went down the rabbit hole of of our troubled history uh kathleen what are what are hopes for 2023 um, i'd like to see a lot more bipoc um cutie bipoc um directed and written films um and tv shows i, I there there's like i know there was anything uh, possible this year but most of the content that's coming out is by white people and so i would really like to see more bipoc driven work i mean really um i'd like to see it more in our like in terms of like what's being submitted to our festival i mean there's lots of shorts but i'd like to see a lot more in terms of features i'd like to see a lot more directed and written by uh queer women and non-binary and trans folks um 
coming out, um, who's behind the camera, who's writing the stories, who's directing the work. I still think it's sort of the same people and the same demographics. And so I'd really like to see that shift a lot more. Okay, awesome. And I'm going to give everybody a rant at the end if you want to take it. But my last question on the hopes and dreams. <laughs> uh, Sam, you, you've got hopes for 2023? My hope is always that... Um, Close to the microphone. You've got quiet. Oh, sorry. My hope is always that uh, instead of having like blockbuster number uh, 13 or 14 or, you know, the same stories over and over and over again, that somehow magically someone who has the power to green light those things is like, huh, I got an idea. Why don't we give this money to multiple independent filmmakers instead of all this money in one giant thing that's not saying anything new and instead fund and give people platforms to say the things that a wider audience need and want to hear and watch. Wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice. <laughs> that would definitely be nice. I think we could have a whole episode on why that doesn't happen and maybe. <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that that leads me to a topic of pet peeves because I noticed that all our hopes are sort of also coming off disappointment <laughs> and I just want to see like I want to see one trend end in 2023 and I really want the end of killing the gay people in cruel fast unusual targeted mean-spirited ways that make me honestly very depressed and feeling like why do they hate us <laughs> after I see these movies. I'm just going to go to that with White Lotus. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm doing it now, not as a spoiler alert. Um, you know, I get, uh, when I point out that in the first character, you know, uh, Murray Bartlett, in the first season where Murray Bartlett gets killed at the end. Um, look, the entire show was about examining privilege, looking how the privileged people wield their power and in the end are rewarded. They still live miserable lives, I get it. But they survive, they thrive and the indigenous people are locked up and the black woman ends up with no, losing her loan and the gay guy is killed <laughs> and the one woman, free-spirited woman who wants to be out of this situation goes back to her bastard husband and the wielding of power. And I'll just say for me, when will I ever see a middle-aged alcoholic gay man <laughs> at the center of a film again? And I knew he would die, you know? Um, and I get a lot of gaslighting from people, especially straight people who get very angry at me for pointing this out. <laughs> and they say, it's this is, the, this is the burden of equality. We get to be in the center of the film too and die. And I say, did anybody else die? <laughs> um, it, it, 
we are still looking at the history as shown in celluloid closet. Yes, you throw a gay character in, they're the targeted one. They're the one who has to suffer. They are, uh, and that, that to me is not equality. I keep having to remind people that equality is not a, go back to math, go back to the way you learn that word. Equal means the same. Equal is not a little bit less equal. <laughs> you know, we're still there. Thanks for giving us the crumbs. And, you know, for example, shows like the Game of Thrones reboot. You know, the way that women and queer people are just brutally attacked. And, you know, the, the brutality of the sexism in that show. And people are like, it's like history. And, and I think to myself, the history in which dragons were flying around? It is not history. It is a constructed reality. We're still choosing to off the gay people make the women suffer and propagate some vision of reality that you want to see go forward or you would not bother to construct it this way. I think people still take comfort in seeing privilege win. And my, um, they feel, liberals feel like they've overcome it because they are, it's pointed out to them, but they do not feel the compunction to change it. Um, so my my pet peeve and hope for 2023 is that people actually write progressive stories for queer people in which we get to see a world that we want to see. Why can't we make queer movies that show a world that we want to see? It's constructed reality rather than a world where we are reminded of our suffering. <laughs> and to be fair, the suffering is not as bad as it was, but equal is four equals four, not 3.6 equals four. So uh, that's my hope and dream. We come what back about um, like a Schitt's Creek movie? Because they imagine a world where the gay thing is not an issue. It just is. Like, can't he make more stuff like that? You know what's that awesome is I'm pretty sure that's Canadian. It is oh, Canadian. It is. <laughs> it is Canadian. And it was so, it's so amazing. I want that movie. Right. I want a Schitt's so, Creek movie. I beg you for a Schitt's Creek movie. I, it yeah. is so funny because I posed this. I'm going to call Danny. No. I posed this question to people. What is an American TV show that has great notoriety or, or movie that has great notoriety, respect, conversation, uh, about it, water cooler conversation where the gay man doesn't die, and everybody and I and everybody goes, "Shit's Creek," <laughs> or or uh, and I'm like, "That's Canadian," <laughs> and sort of we didn't even talk about sort of which is amazing by <laughs> uh, Bilal Bag just renewed for its third season on it's Canadian, but it's on you know it's. On CBC, but it's also on HBO Max. And Bilal is amazing, non-binary character, South Asian, like really like great storytelling, really funny, really like amazing sitcom. So that's another one well, I, I think the to weird out there as well. <laughs> the oddest quality of 2022 is we're all looking to the great north, great frozen north of Canada this year. 
And I'm so sorry that you're suffering. And I'm frozen. Furtis. <laughs> so, unfortunately, maybe that will change with global warming, and we'll all want to move to Canada because it'll. Anyway, it'll although I'm actually going to be spending more and more time in Seattle, so. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everybody. I think it's been a great year and great for uh, launching our podcast. And to more next year. Great. Sounds good.